Hey everyone, welcome back to your fave, fave, fuck, keep this in. Welcome back to your favorite podcast about new metal. That feels like, I like that as an introduction because it feels like uh, the way that they would do it. You know, if you like fucked up in the studio, the band would be like, oh, that's funny. Like we just keep it in there. Um, so that that's this vibe. That's the vibe of this episode. Welcome back to your favorite podcast about new metal. It is the POD cast. This is episode 18, and as you can tell by the title in front of you right now, we are covering Limp Bizkit's Gold Cobra, their fifth studio, well, I guess technically sixth studio album, and uh, with me is the man who is the outlaw white dog, Brian Quinby. What's up, Brian? They also, uh, they also call, is it Panda? polar no, bear polar they also bear. call you the yeah. polar bear baby they do call him the polar bear though that's something we've always called him <laughs> yeah actually check it out it's the outlaw white dog often called by my alias polar bear brain tied <laughs> like the snm freak shit cold like the ice you're serving up my drinks with boom <laughs> it's the lyrics we know and love i you know the way the, i think the problem why i fucked up the start of this episode is because I often do the intro of the episode in the style of the singer that we're covering, but I feel like I've done Fred's like, ladies and gentlemen, like enough times that I didn't want to do it again, even though I just did it there. Uh, but we're back, and this is, uh, you know, we'll get into the album eventually, but this this one, I think, made me feel a bit old. The fact that this album came out in 2011, and this is like their their like long comeback album. People are like, "Oh my god, they're coming back!" And that was ten years ago. I feel like it. This aged me. This episode. Yeah, I mean, they should be coming. Should, they're due for coming back again. Actually, yeah. the stampede of the yeah. disco elephants. Yeah. Wait, is that a name of a? Uh, That's the name album? of their next are album. Supposed one? to be. Yeah. Ow, it's it's a very not... similar vibe to Chinese democracy where like they, they have the name of the album, but there's like no evidence that anything is being done on it. They, they have played one song from it live called Wasteoid. Uh, and they also released that song with Lil Wayne uh, after they announced that they were signing to Cash Money Records and then they left Cash Money Records. Like in the gap between Gold Cobra and now they have they said they were going to do another album in 2013 after Gold Cobra came out. That didn't happen. Then they signed with Cash Money. They were they released a song with Lil Wayne and they're like, this is on an album that's coming out with Cash Money really soon. Uh, and then that album never came out and they left Cash Money and now they're just yeah they're just living brian i don't know i don't yeah. know what to tell you get the chinese democracy i mean anytime you you know you're famous when you have a chinese democracy going you know <laughs> yeah you you, want, you you know that's like a super famous thing like only certain art you like you have to be like at the top of your game for people to put up with a uh, chinese democracy type moment you know what i mean yeah you're like right. people don't people don't put up with that shit you're like tool tool could do that too 
Yeah, I feel like Tool has been doing that kind of like not. I mean, yeah. not not in so much of like, you know, they're not like our next album is called, you know, some kind of word I've never heard of, some sort of like Latin word I've never. Our our next album is called. I don't I'm not even going to do a bit. I can't think of a good enough Latin Exodus Corpus or whatever. Our next album is called Exodus Corpus and it's where it's going to be out soon. And then they delay it tools like the opposite. They just don't tell you anything ever. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, and you know, really who cares when tool is going to re- I mean, I know they got a lot of fans, but I'm not one of them. So <laughs> me neither. I mean, I like some of their songs, but I'm not, I'm not waiting on, yeah, I'm not waiting on a Tool album. I, I feel like not... even Tool fans aren't really waiting on a Tool album, you know? They're kind of yeah, like, yeah, just... put it out or don't put it out. Like, well, I don't know. Whatever, guys. It's fine. Yeah, they're just like, I'll just listen to whatever, man. You know, yeah. I'll listen to Lateralists. Is that, that's the name of one of the albums. I'm 90% sure. Yeah, that. it is. Yeah. 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 Not a Tool fan. I might fan. pronounce it I know, Lateralis. It sounds crazy. Okay, that's the Canadian version. That's the Canadian. <laughs> yeah, that's the British spelling and pronunciation. Lateralist X in Canada, they call it, actually. <laughs> I feel like this is like the third episode in a row we've made a Bush X joke, and uh, I, know. I love it every and I love it every time. <laughs> I, I don't, want, I don't want it to go away. You know what's a funny <laughs> thing about Bush to me? And this is going to sound wild, and I feel like I don't think I talked about it on this podcast. I think I talked about it on Blocked Party. But, like, I can remember... Like, so when Gwen Stefani and Gavin Rossdale got divorced, uh, you know, there was all this like, oh, who was her, who was even her ex-husband, like some deadbeat, whatever, you know? And like, in my mind, Gavin Rossdale is way bigger than Gwen Stefani. Like he's not, but I remember in the like late nineties, like when they first got together, no doubt was sort of just on the like ascendancy and Bush was already huge. Like to me, it was like, oh, wow, like she gets to date Gavin. She gets to marry gay. It wasn't the other way around for me. <laughs> and I always think of that. I'm like, how dare you disrespect Gavin Rossdale of Bush? Gavin Rossdale. I was a big fan of that first album and then turned on him like a motherfucker before the second album even came out. Oh, really? You know? Oh, my I God. I feel like Razorblade Suitcase was a great album. I think the first two are great. After that, it's sort of diminishing returns, but. 16 right, stone but, and razor blade suitcase are both great but my friends made fun of me for liking bush mm. so i had to turn on him unfortunately oh i see you know sometimes i, mean, I guess just, gavin rossdale's a bit of a pretty boy for like uh for columbus right like was that kind of the problem just wasn't heavy enough right not heavy enough they don't i mean they're not a heavy band at all you don't really get i don't think people mosh at bush concerts I could oh, be I think wrong they do. about that. I think they mosh at Bush know. concerts. To me, what I would say is like Bush is heavy if you like alternative, but they're soft <laughs> if you like metal or new metal or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if the, you if you were yeah. like into the gin blossoms and, you know, Dishwalla and bands, you'd, you'd hear Bush and you'd be like, ooh, this is like a heavy, this is a heavy band, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I, I, I can agree with that. It, it is funny levels of heaviness, but like I am also not like the most heavy guy, you know, like I'm not a super because I new metal is about as well. I go a little further than that, but I don't listen to death metal. No, you know? me neither. New metal like, is I, definitely I the heaviest I got. Even like hardcore and stuff like 
I like Misery Signals, and that was like the only like post-hardcore band I ever got into. I like I loved Screamo, but I never same kind of thing. Like I've always needed to have melody and break like and and har- harmonies and breakdowns. Like I can't the just the the onslaught of metal I've never enjoyed. Even Metallica. Like I don't really. I've never gotten super into Metallica. Like, obviously, they have a lot of great songs, and I've seen them live quite a few times. But I don't... I'm not going to turn on Master of Puppets or Ride the Lightning or something like that. Yeah, that's all... I'll turn on Master of Puppets. But, uh... uh, No, I didn't listen to Metallica growing up either. I was really into Pantera. But, like... Pantera was too heavy for me back then, I think. Well, that's the thing, though. I was just so, like... I was just so like uh, uh, that was the only metal band I liked that wasn't new metal though at the right, time. Like right. I didn't cross over. I didn't get into like there were even new metal bands that were maybe too heavy for me, a little bit. Not like yeah. not uh, nothing's too heavy, but like when you listen to death metal, it's like I don't know, dude. I don't. <laughs> I don't yeah, you gotta have. Is... There's some things going on. I think if you if you're like crazy into death metal, it's you got some stuff going on. I'm not saying Brett that's bad, book. but it's just, <laughs> yeah. Brett read a book about death metal and then was like, oh shit, now I get it. You know what I mean? And then was okay. able to listen to it. Like, it's one of those things, like there are certain types of music. Like, I feel like you can unlock new metal in my brain, you know, like, like something could unlock liking it because i've i've found that i like pretty much anything that like parents hate you know so like there there's got i always think there's gotta be a way to unlock this where it's like oh i get it but i didn't i didn't i listened to it uh uh me and brett did a metal podcast and i listened to it for a whole for three days that's all i listened to is death metal and i was like i don't like this i still don't like this so yeah i don't know yeah i I I don't know what the i don't know what the gateway like i guess the problem is i guess there are gateway bands in a sense like metallica i guess is kind of a gateway band to death metal or whatever but it just feels like death metal so far past that like it doesn't feel like there's a lot of steps on the way from metallica to death metal i feel like you just kind of decide one day you're like yeah no i'm into this you know and yeah i it's never struck for me i think i think that's why i was always into like new metal and and then screamo after that is that you know i'm just a little bit fancy i'm just a little bit of a fancy guy and i need to have a little bit of lightness in my in my stuff you know I do have a lot of respect for dudes that make stuff that they know people hate, you know, like new metal is intentionally made to be an unpleasant music to listen to. And I respect that, but it's unpleasant to listen to. So I can't really enjoy it. But uh, uh, yeah, new metal to me was like, I'm trying to think of like, like Slipknot, I think was as heavy as I got probably Slipknot Pantera. Yeah, I guess that's like a good de- death metal gateway band Slipknot. Yeah, Slipknot you could see yourself them moving on to like what if they just removed all the melody and just yeah. the <laughs> bass drum they just beat the shit out of that bass drum. Yeah. Yeah, li- yeah, sli- I almost said Limbiscuit. Yeah, Slipknot is really um yeah. So I think that's a good like 
if you listen to Slipknot and you're like, you know what? Not mysterious and not dark enough for me. Uh, masks and boiler suits. Yeah, but have these guys burn down any churches? That's more what I'm into. This is not. Oh, a, that's black metal, though. Death metal know, is different from black metal. I know, but it's John, all the geez. same to me. I don't give a shit. To you me, I'm, I'm a parent now. I'm not, but I basically <laughs> am in my mind where I'm like, ah, oh, they burn down churches and all those genres. That's what I'm telling my kids. You can't listen to that. They burn down churches. I'm well, not even but religious, the, but I'm just saying that. The Florida, though, the Florida, the 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 death metals from Florida. It's just rednecks from Florida. That's why I respect it. I don't like it, but I respect the shit out of it. It's one of those like right. It's one of those things where like I, I'll enjoy that from. It's like the uh, Criterion movies. You know, like, you know, the Criterion collection, people mm -hmm. post about them a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I respect that. You know, I respect those movies. I'll never watch them, though. I just can't ever see myself getting into a space where I can watch a, watch one of those movies. Yeah, you're like, I could get into this or I could just watch Gone in 60 Seconds again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I yeah. could just watch uh, uh, another TV show. Before yeah. before we recorded, I was watching Superstore. Okay, which uh, wasn't enjoying that at all. Yeah, you said you didn't, didn't like it. Like uh, Becca and I just started it. We're on like episode five or six, and I think it's okay. It's not like amazing so far, but I think it's. I mean, I love Mark McKinney, so I feel like that's kind of what's really you know popping off for me at the moment. So can I tell you what's frustrating me? Frustrated me about it? Yeah, they're wearing masks in some scenes, but they're not wearing masks in other scenes. Oh, because it's I like said, a new because the oh is these are like new episodes where they're doing like COVID shit. Yeah, but they're not like really talking about COVID. And what what I said to my wife about this was like, hey, uh, uh, they could have just made this exist in a world that didn't have COVID. You know, yeah, they that's were weird. Do, <laughs> I didn't know that like some... any shows were actively acknowledging COVID. I feel like I don't really the only like show I watch like right after it comes out is Bob's Burgers. Well, in Jeopardy, but that doesn't count. But like, I feel like I have no knowledge of shows like actively acknowledging COVID. So that's oh, wild is... to me. I was actually picking up Mexican food one day and I was standing in the restaurant and uh, I don't know why I had to tell you what kind of food I was getting. I was, it's such a weird Listen, thing. Listen, people, you're canceled, Brian. Sorry. Why did the food yeah. have to have a type, Brian? Why did it have to be from somewhere? Canceled, I just don't buddy. even. I don't even know why. I could have said the name of the restaurant, basically, and got the same effect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was at I went Taqueria to Los Gauchos. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was at the Taqueria the other day picking up Indian food. But there was a whole show made on Zoom on the TV, you know, like I was, I right. was uh, it, not a talk show. It was like an actual like romance show. There was some, I think there was romance happening and there was also like, they were talking about Black Lives Matter on it and they were on Zoom Oh shit. Too. They weren't in the same room, but it seemed like a real ripped from the headlines, <laughs> but like right. uh, not. A crime show it was just generally people talking about stuff that's happening in a way that we talk to each other now which is through zoom so right. that was yeah, I really think I maybe saw something about that that they were that they had like green lit a show like that but stupid i don't want wild. that i mean i would think... rather 
I want to watch stuff that takes place in a world that doesn't have COVID. I think people, yeah. I, I keep seeing people talk about like, oh, you know, whenever I watch a fucking TV show where there's big crowds of people, I kind of cringe now. And I'm like, I don't like, actually, I like being reminded that that is possible. Yeah, totally. I agree with <laughs> Someday you. You're, it's going to happen. <laughs> listen, I sold all of my concert DVDs. I will not watch them. Uh, I have the canadian 2010 gold medal hockey game on dvd threw it out won't watch it crowds aren't for me how did we how did we ever gather in crowds it's crazy there are you know though there are going to be people that are like that there are going to be people who never go to a crowd crowded event again brett mentioned like brett has mentioned this a few times and it's it's always been it's always been really wild to me to think about, but it doesn't gross me out. He mentions it in a grossed out way. I'm just like, whatever. Uh, it's that like, he was like, I, you know, I didn't realize when I stood in a crowd, I was like huffing in other people's spit. <laughs> yeah, I knew that. I was like, hell yeah. I mean, I told him to stop spitting in my mouth, but other than that, it was fine. Yeah, I, I listen, I'm a guy who went on the podcast and said I would drink bath water after somebody got out for <laughs> a relatively small amount of money and also said I would I would for a hundred dollars, I would eat a cake that you baked your fingernails in. So, I mean, I just, okay. <laughs> I'm not a germ guy, you know, it doesn't bother me. I'm trying to go back to that lifestyle when i that uh, lifestyle uh, when, the lifestyle where you eat a cake with fingernails made to it. yeah it, you know oh I, it came up because here's why it came up because somebody sent us a people talk about work a lot uh, right. uh when they call into our show or or they send us emails and they sent us an email about being annoyed because somebody was cutting their fingernails at work and i was or I grossed out by it that I was like, is I'm not that even, is gross though like mm. i it, like it's okay what i would say is like i don't think like that stuff doesn't gross me out either i mean i'm not going to eat them baked in a cake but i don't it's not like it, that stuff doesn't really gross me out either it's just the like principle of it like do you like you really need to cut your nails at work like that that's more the issue i have with it more than anything else it's just the, the like principle of it it's like get it's a not life. weird though. I don't. I don't even I mean, find it, it to be weird, that dude. weird. It's like I'm sitting at my desk, and this isn't something I've done. I'm just not grossed out by fingernails at all, or hair, like hair in the food. I'm like, I'll just move the hair. Get, quit. Yeah, I agree with you that. Know? That 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 is what it is. I agree with you on that one. What do you think? But, Sorry, go ahead. But the fingernail thing is like, it's just. Sometimes I look at my nails and I'm like, oh, they're getting a little, you know, long. I'm getting some claws. Kitty has claws, you know, and uh, uh, I'm starting to get claws. And I'm like, if I had some fingernail clippers right now, I would just I would clip you my fingernails. Yeah. But then since I don't have them on me at any regular time, then I don't clip I, I, I sometimes will get really long nails because I don't think about it later on in the day. And then my wife's like, God damn, what's with your nails, dude? You know, and right. It's because and then you're like, Kitty has claws. And then she's all, uh, she's all about it. I get, <laughs> I get it's it. frowned upon, you know, yeah, to cut yeah. them in public. We need to <laughs> yeah. be more free with our fingernail clipping. Okay. 
How do you think, uh, let, this is a segue sort of based on what we were talking about. How, where do you think Fred Durst is out on COVID? I think he he's being careful and wearing a mask. And think so? uh, uh, I think he's in Hollywood. I don't think that he is an anti-vaxxer. I think he's I really do. I believe the that he he is like a, a normal guy, essentially. Like, I feel like me and Fred Durst have a lot in common other than him being rich and and very famous. But like, I feel I, I think maybe I layer my feelings about the world onto Fred Durst. But I feel like if me and him sat down, it would be like, yeah, you know, uh, you know, higher minimum wage, uh, get the vaccine as soon as you can. Uh, COVID is real. Uh, like all that stuff. I, I do feel that way, you know, and, and he's probably not super bitter because he wasn't going to tour anyway. It's not like he was going on tour. He's not missing out on a tour. So I'll bet you he's, I, I think a lot of the musicians are just missing going on tour. I, I really believe that the ones well, that's that are how like, they make oh, their we got to get too, over right? it. Yeah, we got to get yeah. over this bullshit already, okay? They're the ones that are, like, doing live shows in Texas and Georgia. Right. They're like, I hate living at home. Get me away from my kids and my wife. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean. Uh, if that's part of, I mean, that is kind of the thing, though, right? Like, I mean, if you meet someone when you're in a band, or if you have, like, a shift work job or something like that, where you're used to your relationship existing, where you're either gone for months at a time or you work shift work so you only see your partner for a couple hours a day, if that changes, you know, I could see that being a big deal. It's like, yeah, I've been with this person for seven years. I've been in a band the whole time. At least three months out of every year I'm gone, and we've spent the last 12 months together in the same space. Like, I can see that being a thing. Yeah. Like, my, uh, I, I, I get cr my wife is going crazy right now because <laughs> because you haven't got on the road well yeah and she's stuck here with me all the time you know she's not go she's not going to work all day so she doesn't get any time where it's not like either me or the kid are in her face you know or right. or, or just even around like there's just no alone time especially during the winter when it's too cold to go out and you know you can't there's nothing open so like it, it just is like it it has to be difficult for both the people in the bands and the people married or or partners of people in bands for sure yeah sitting around in the house all the time so especially like i had been touring pretty regularly for two and a half three years at that point and i miss it so i can't imagine if you're you know 20 years you've been touring and now all of a sudden you've been grounded and it feels like it's never going to end but i think fred durst doesn't give a shit i don't think he cares about touring at all he'd rather do his jazz night every night yeah that's true i don't think he cares about touring either and i mean that kind of bears itself out because the album we're about to talk about uh they really didn't tour at all uh but we are reviewing gold cobra which is the fifth studio album um it says fifth on wikipedia but it depends i guess on if you count uh the unquestionable truth or not right because i think that came before this one um yeah it, that's yeah, an album right 
I mean, I think so. Oh, no, it says it's the first since 2003's results may vary. Maybe the unquestionable truth was out. I guess the unquestionable truth was an, was an EP, so it technically didn't count. Um, so I guess that's what it was. Because unquestionable truth came out in uh, 2006, I believe. I'm just looking that up right now. This is... I yeah, didn't and follow it was Olympus called Part oh, 1. 2004. Yeah, it was called Part 1. Yeah, it was an EP. Okay. So Gold Cobra is their fifth... Uh, studio album it was released uh this the first one since 2003's results may vary it also was Wes Borland's return to the band as he was not on results may vary pardon me the album came out on June 28th 2011 after being recorded over the span of two years from August 2009 to March 2011 the album sold 27,000 copies during its first week and peaked at number 16 on the Billboard 200. It sold 250,000 copies to date. Uh, the album was produced by Fred Durst and uh, is sort of noted for uh, building on their previous uh, new metal sound. Uh, the album did manage to go to number one in Germany. Uh, it also topped the Billboard Hard Rock Albums chart. I went to 13 in Canada, did not chart in the UK. And uh, yeah, and it was really kind of not as well uh, received uh, as you might imagine. Olymp Biscuit album in 2011 would be. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess, Brian, we can talk about uh, where we were at in 2011. I mean, I think both of us, I'm imagining, uh, did not hear this album before now. Correct. No, I didn't listen. I I I wouldn't have even given it a chance. You know what? What would be the reason to listen? It would be like listening to a hair metal album, almost to me. You know, it was just like, no, I'm not going to listen to that. It, it's probably sad. I don't want to feel sad <laughs> when I'm listening to music. Did you ever listen to Results May Vary when it came out? No. Once Wes was out, I felt like that was a good time for me to jump off. Yeah, uh, uh, where it was just like, well, you know, it's not the original band anymore. I'm not going to stick around for yeah. all that stuff, you know? Um, yeah, it's crazy to me that I think, you know, for a band, well, two bands, like I pretty much, I've said this on the pod before, but I basically exclusively listened to Corn and Limp Biscuit for like three years, pretty much from 98 to 2001. I only listened to Corn and Limp Biscuit, and that was it. I just, you know, th this was back before the internet. It was hard to find music. You were sort of just a slave to what was on the radio and what was on much music. And that was about it. So that was like all the music I consumed. I was obsessed with whatever either of those bands did. And it's remarkable to me because obviously we can see in the future, we're in the future now, we can see how new metal like really fell off. But it's interesting, like even on a personal level, how uninterested I was once yeah. I stopped being interested, like untouchables was really the last new metal album that I bought that came out in 03. That was the last new metal album that I bought and enjoyed, but I didn't love it. Even then I was like, that's oh, pretty good. But I, I wasn't like, it just didn't grab me in the same way. And by the time results may vary came out, which was in 2005, I just had, or sorry, 2003. So it came out at the same time. So Untouchables I was into, but results may vary. I was just done. Like I was just so, and I liked Chocolate Starfish. I mean, obviously we talked about it on the Chocolate Starfish episode back in September, but I love Chocolate Starfish. I don't know what it was. And I don't even think it was me sitting and going, ah, oh, Wes isn't on this, so I'm not going to listen to it. Like I just literally had no interest in results may vary whatsoever. And I, and I just I completely fell off of the band. 
I gotta be, I gotta be, I'm with you. I was the same fucking way. It was like, uh, uh, I just, I really could not have cared less what they were doing. Like as far as like, I, I don't know. Like I didn't care about, Oh, sorry. I didn't, I didn't care what any of these bands were doing at the time. And I was actually like hiding from the fact that I liked them at any time. And I don't even think I would have ever listened to this if I didn't do this podcast either. You know, I, I yeah. can almost guarantee that I would have never listened to this album and never heard it, which would have been a shame because I, I fucking really like it. You know, I, I will probably I will listen to this again. Probably. Oh yeah, Maybe. I, I will too. No, oh yeah, I think I will. I think I'll listen to it for sure. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's interesting to me. I yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, I, I think I've had times in my life where I've gone like. Oh, maybe, maybe I'll just fire up gold Cobra. But I also think it felt like my limp biscuit tank was full. Like, it's just sort of like, if I want to listen to limp biscuit, I'll just listen to significant other mm -hmm. or $3 billy all or hot dog, uh, flavored water. Like, I don't really care. Like there's enough good songs on those albums. I don't think I was like, Oh, I need more limp biscuit. Um, in a, in a way that like, there's other bands I like that haven't released music in a while that have a lot of output that I would love to hear from again. Um, Limp Bizkit, yeah, I don't know why, but uh, it, it's funny for, you know, you and I being such fans of the genre, pardon me, and at one time in both of our lives, it being like so important to us that we just kind of gave up on it. But I really did. I think like, everybody I really feel does. Like I, but you don't you don't think everybody does that though cuz you'll hear people talking a lot about like the rolling stones like boomers will be like i like the rolling stones but nothing after what let it bleed or i don't know which one was the last good one they made i'm i'm right. not like an expert but like people do give up on bands they they're as you just said their tanks do get full and it makes me wonder like all of the stuff that i've actually missed like i've never listened to the serenity of suffering at all and right. like maybe there's some good stuff on that i don't fucking know i like i wouldn't have any idea <laughs> because yeah. i didn't give it any sort of a chance and it's the same thing with this is like i just think that you you in 2011 it it felt like it we're looking at what fucking when did chocolate starfish come out 2000 uh yeah yeah so 2000 we're looking at 11 years after it was over with chocolate starfish basically yeah i mean we said and, that on the chocolate starfish episode that did kind of feel like when new metal ended in a way yeah so it was it was already over it was very hard to to uh, uh uh justify listening to something like this you know and also just you know hey i bought into the propaganda you know the limp biscuit was always bad they were never good they were <laughs> you know what i mean yeah, like yeah. you just heard it so <clears throat> fucking much that it was very hard not to turn into that 
not to have that opinion, especially with the type of music that I would move on and start listening to, too, at that time. Like, you know, I was it was very important for people to understand that I liked good music and only good music. Maybe not in 2011. I had already started to turn the corner on new metal. But for the years before 2011, it was kind of like, oh, no, you know, I listened to like Radiohead and the Mars Volta and um you know whatever the the big thing is uh uh probably i was listening to a lot of classic rock at this time too and and like bluegrass and stuff like that so like it this was just so far out of anything that i would have ever been interested in uh that i you know even if i had listened to it i wouldn't have given it a chance you know you think if you had listened to it in 2011 you'd have been like oh this is pretty good (laughs) No. And and honestly, like, I do think like what you're saying is good. And, and I think part of the reason I only put this album up on the poll was because we had listeners telling us how good it was. And I think that that also helped me listen to it with like fresh ears in a way, because I, you know, I trust our listeners like we were we were just we just recorded our, our latest y'all want a single right before we did this. And we talked about how much we've been enjoying those, how, you know, people from around the states and, and wherever they experience new metal kind of sending us these little snippets of songs they got into that maybe you and I missed. That's been kind of a common theme for, <clears throat> pardon me, what we've been doing. And I think that this is kind of like that. Like I, I, I sort of trust our listeners in a way where people were saying, you know, we had some people say they think Gold Cobra's Limp Bizkit's best album, which I don't think I would go that far. But, um, but the fact that people are saying that allowed me to be like, okay, I'm going to go into this and I'm going to take this like more seriously than I would have. Even like you say, maybe a year ago, I'm just like, oh, what am I? What do I want to listen to? You know what? I've never listened to Gold Cobra. Maybe I'll give that a chance. And I, I might have just turned it on and been like, oh, okay, yeah, this sort of sounds like what I expected and I'm not going to like get myself into it. But I think there was something about this sort of cycle of people telling us it was good and putting it up on the poll a couple times and it getting really close to winning and then finally winning the poll. Um, yeah, it just, it, this one really, uh, it, like it really clicked with me on on this listen in a way that I feel like it might not have even up to like a year ago. And and I agree with what you were saying as well, as far as, um, you know, corn for whatever reason, I mean, obviously Deftones and Slipknot and bands like that have maintained respectability. Um, and I feel like corn has in a way too. I feel like you tell people you like corn and they kind of get it. Um, and Limp Biscuit has just always been that kind of touchstone band that you make fun of that, you know, you make fun of people for listening to you take as emblematic of the new metal genre if you hated it. Um, and so, yeah, so I think there was a part of me too, that would have been not necessarily snobbish about it. Cause I don't think I ever had a phase where I said Limp Bizkit sucks out loud. Cause I don't think I ever thought that. Um, I probably always would have said like, well, well, early Limp Bizkit's like pretty good still. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think certainly in 2011 and even up to now, um, I wouldn't have ever thought like, that I would have had the ability to get into a Limp Bizkit album again, if that makes sense. Yeah, no. And and I mean, again, also just the fact that they didn't tour this album yeah. would have hurt it for me too. If I listen to an album, I, you know, if I listen to a new album, I want to think 
that I'm going to get to see it live. Like if I go into like if I go when I go into typo negative, like I know I'm never going to get to see that and and I adjust my expectations to that. But like it, I want to see the if Limp Biscuit's new album kicks ass, I want to then see it in concert, please. Well, especially with Limp Bizkit, right? Like they're such a live band and I think a lot of like we're going to read some articles later, but the, you know, that's always been the thing with Limp Bizkit. And I feel like Kid Rock is kind of in this, this thing as well. Um, and even Nickelback to an extent bands like that, where it's like, okay, even if you hate this band, you're probably going to have a great time at the live show. Um, and Limp Bizkit has sort of always been that type of band. I remember I've talked about it on the show before, but going to the summer sanitarium tour in 2003, when they were direct support for Metallica, there were five bands on the bill. Limp Bizkit played before Metallica and the show started with them getting booed onto the stage. Um, and then by the end of the show, uh, you know, th they had completely won the stadium over. I mean, there weren't you like no one was booing them anymore. It was such a great show. Um, and I, and I feel like Limp Bizkit does have that kind of live presentation quality to it where you can sort of ignore the fact that like Fred's lyrics are kind of nonsense and he's not really like a very good singer and, you know, you can just take it all in live. I, I would agree with you on that statement as well. And the, the funny part about Gold Cobra is it actually came about because they toured. Um, that was how they, they got back together with Wes. They decided to go on a tour. They called the unicorns and rainbows tour. Yes. Um, and it was strictly, uh, it was a non U S tour. The only U S shows they played were in Las Vegas. Um, and the rest of the tour was European and, and Asian. They had a European leg and an Asian leg. And that was it. So they got back together. And then on that tour, you know, they kind of like started, you know, Fred and Wes started to get along again, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then, yeah. And then they ended up uh, recording a lot of the, or, you know, demoing a lot of the songs that ended up on Gold Cobra. So, you know, certainly uh, a live band through and through. And I, I think that's one thing that makes this album work is that it, it does feel like classic Limp Bizkit in a way that it just has like massive riffs that you could totally imagine grooving to live. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I think I even understand why they wouldn't want to tour America at this time. Right. One, I think it's, it's a trick. They are going to tour in America, but the longer they don't do it, they know the bigger the tour is when they finally do it, you know? Yeah. I think they, they probably want to put together a really cool package to, to hit the road. And once they can figure out how to, you know, whether it's like family values, 2025 or something like that, where they go out with corn and a couple of other, like what would be considered nostalgia acts. Like they really, I know they will tour again and I, I know it will be huge. And that they're probably holding off because they know the longer, you know, it's just the longer amount of time, the better it's going to be. But also, like, can you imagine, like, you roll through a town and all musicians have to do this. You roll through a town where you played the stadium 10 years ago and now you're playing like a, a, a 500 seat to a thousand seat venue. That's got to fucking hurt. And I, I, I'll bet you they just didn't want to deal with that. You know, like, I just don't, I don't want to have these feelings where I drive past the arena to the nightclub. That's not a feeling I want to have. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I can agree with that for sure. And I, I think that that goes to us as a fan as well. Like I know, um, 
uh, a listener of this show, Nat, was talking about how um, I can't remember the band, so she's going to be mad at me. But um, she had talked about seeing a band like back in the day and not wanting to see them again because she has that like memory of the show like preserved in her mind. And I kind of feel like that sometimes too, where like I've seen shows that are so good. I almost don't want to see the band again, or it's like I saw them and they were touring the album. I love from them the most, and I don't want to wreck that experience kind of thing. And I almost wonder if that's like the exact kind of the same thing. Like Limp Bizkit's like, okay, all these people remember us playing stadiums. We're a stadium band, you know, because that's the thing too, is like, Limp Biscuit thrives on a big stage. I mean, I only saw them the one time, but like, you know, seeing like concert clips of them and stuff, like they really use the whole stage, the whole space. They put on a big show, tons of props, crazy set design, you know, to see them in a club where they're all kind of cramped and they are even a theater and there's not really room for them to maybe do the show they want to do it. You know, there's probably a sense that they feel like they want to help people preserve their own memories of like past Limp Bizkit shows or something like that. It also brings down the value of a reunion tour when you go out and you just do theaters, I guess, is is what they would be doing. Thousand seat. Yeah, I would assume so. Yeah. Two to three thousand seat theater, something like that. Yeah, that hurts. That hurts the eventual like big reunion tour that you could probably yeah. pull off if you just wait, if you just hold out. And, and these guys are all guys that have money. They're doing okay. I oh, think. Yeah. Well, Fred's a director, Brian. Of course. He's doing he great. Does. <laughs> he does. He makes movies. I again, yeah. let's get a petition going to get him to make a remake of Fight Club. <laughs> I want the Fred Durst remake of Fight Club. Really bad. That's yeah. Oh, that would be I mean, awesome. Even if he yeah, I know he would make it good. You know, Fanatic, that that was a masterpiece, I think. I know, you know. I don't think he would make it good, but he would make it good in a way that I would. it would be entertaining to watch, I think. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're going to let him make any more movies. Do we think he's going to ever be allowed to make another movie? Probably not. Probably not after the <laughs> Fanatic. After you raise that much money and you get John Travolta to star in it and it's that bad. I think you're you're probably it's probably over unless he wants to sell finance, right? Like that's and I know with Fanatic he did put a lot of his own money into it too. But then even Aww. him, he's got to go like, you know, how much is Fred Durst worth at this point? You know, I don't know what that number is, but is he gonna sink like half of his life savings into making another movie at this point? Like probably not. I don't know. It just, just seems to me he should have stuck with music videos. I feel like a lot of the Limp Bizkit videos are pretty good, and he directed I think all of them or most of them. So. You know, maybe he should have just stayed small scale. Just sit back, collect your $500,000 paycheck for directing a music video and good enough. I just feel like he could work it out with Corn, and they would do something massive. And they're all buddies. I know. And like, oh, for sure, that that's what I, I think it even feels like from the articles you sent me, I think that is kind of their goal because he kept yeah. saying like, you he know, talks about us, it in these interviews. Yeah. Yeah. Us corn and Deftones, you know, we go yeah. on the road and it's like, guy, Deftones isn't going to go out on the road with you ever again. It's yeah, over. That's certainly that, not going to happen. Yeah. That, that, that could only hurt Deftones where, where for you, it's better because you're a nostalgia. Deftones got to stay, they kind of there's a level that you get to where you just get to be considered like uh uh still current so deftones still feel ohms 
still feels like a current album in a way that this album was dated the day it came out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was dated 10 years previous. This right. is the album Limp Biscuit should have put out in 2001. If Limp Biscuit <laughs> put out Gold Cobra in 2001, it would have sold 5 million copies. Yeah, yeah. This was dated before they wrote it, though. You yeah. know, they, oh, yeah. They, you know what? My my description of this album, it just like if somebody asked me what it was like, I would say this is like a greatest hits album with all new songs on it. That's what this album feels like. To I mean, me. that's a great way to put it. I like that. <laughs> a greatest hits album with all new songs. Yeah, you're right, though. In a way, like even some of the things he does here, like he references break stuff on Shark Attack or he says it's another one of those days or whatever. That's and like they're, they're definitely like doing some of their older stuff here. Like um, what's the one? It's my favorite song on the album. Walking Away feels like a, just a, another attempt to do like rearranged slash boiler um like yeah no you're totally right they they definitely are hitting on all their marks and we'll get to the songs in a second um but yeah definitely the um you know reading a few of the the interviews here around this album you're right like fred does bring up that he wishes that uh that they you know could go out with corn and that that would be like really cool and he thinks they should be able to do it and uh yeah, I just feel like it would be pretty, uh, I mean, that would be sweet. Who wouldn't want to see that, really? I mean, I feel like a lot of people would get a lot of joy out of seeing Corn and Limp Bizkit tour together again in, in whenever that happens to be. And I think, too, the thing with Deftones is, like, Deftones also have a cachet that, like, Corn and Limp Bizkit never had. Like, they have a... They have like a cachet with other bands, right? Like Deftones has been doing that. Um, I mean, I guess it didn't happen this year because of COVID, but they've been doing that annual event in San Diego um, where they bring in a bunch of bands. You know, they'll bring in like metal bands or the, the I think the, I can't even remember what they call it. I think they just call it like Deftones Fest or something like that. And it's like an all day concert. The last one I think had like Brutus and uh, Gojira, like the tour, Dan and I actually had tickets. We were supposed to see Deftones with Gojira. Um, it got canceled because of COVID, but, um, but yeah, like Deftones have that cachet where they can still tour with cool bands and lots of bands respect them and they can headline theaters and they don't need, they don't need it. Right. Like they don't, for them, it's they're kind of almost like slumming it, even though they'd be playing in stadiums, they would clearly be the opening act on a corn limp biscuit oh, yeah. Deftones tour, you know, so they're not going to look at it like, Oh, we're, you know, that, that to, to me seems like they, they'd be dragging themselves down as opposed to doing like a sweet tour with like a hot new metal band, you know, Deftones could tour with deaf heaven or, you know, like cool, buzzy indie metal bands or older metal bands like dillinger escape plan or like deftones could do whatever they wanted really um so yeah i agree that that's not going to happen but that would be amazing a corn biscuit deftones tour i would follow like it was the grateful dead i would have to see it at least two or three nights i do have to say that i think that like deftones maybe would be second on that bill it would go limp biscuit deftones corn because i don't think so i don't think it but would i i think fred has a certain respect for deftones in a way like man he brings them up a lot like oh, he, he definitely loves deftones no question about it but i don't i don't think so i i just don't think there's any way i mean 
the Deftones, all of their album sales combined would not pass the album sales of Significant Other alone. Like, there's just but, no way, I don't think. But if Limp Bizkit released an album today and Deftones released an album today, Deftones would sell more. Oh, no question they Bizkit. would. I'm not, I agree with you. I, t- t- in my mind, Deftones would be headlining that show. But yeah. I just like, you know, as far as like who I would want to see play for the longest period of time, I would much rather have Deftones headline that show. I'm not trying to like be a dick about it. I just think that that's what would I, I think for sure it would be Deftones would be the opening act, even though I don't I wish it wasn't the case. But um, yeah, how did you uh, let, let's get into the actual songs on the record. What were um, what were some of the songs on this that, uh, you know, that stuck out to you as either good or bad or funny. otherwise? Mostly I mean, funny. So you know? This this album is fucking hilarious. It is yeah. so funny. Um, You know, I like the songs about the trolls quite a bit. Like douchebag. That's all of them. Isn't that all of them? <laughs> a lot of them. Yes, yes. A, a lot of them. Fred really, in this album... It feels like he made a decision that, like, no, I am, like, a hip-hop guy. I'm not doing the same kind of stuff that I did back... Because back in the day, he had, like, emotions in his song where he's like, you know, some of the songs it's like, Oh, I'm feeling real sad. You know, some like rearranged or like mostly anger. I mean, significant other was like all about one X in particular, right? Like, I mean, it was pretty vitriolic for sure. Yeah. So this album is more of him. It's the more braggadocious stuff that he does. And you know what? I like it a lot. Cause I mean, it's different. This thing, the thing about this is, is that like, it sounds more modern than what they had done before, you know, like, like, uh, um, this sounds like 2011 actually to me, like the, the rap stuff, he is commenting on things and trying to do things that are kind of like the rap at the time. Now he's not really succeeding at that and it it like still comes off sounding kind of dated compared to i i'm trying to think of like what was big like like at that time i was like really i got real into gucci man and stuff like that so like i think i was probably into stuff that douche yeah this would have been like uh, this is like kanye's height right like around this time this is like my beautiful dark twisted fantasy era kanye um so it'd be that sort of like and drake is in the ascendancy at this time um so you'd, you'd have like those like that's kind of the rap landscape at this time it's it's, start, it's starting to turn more towards that sort of drake like sing rap type thing so douchebag has like a really good passage that i really i got a lot out of <laughs> okay personally yeah hooded black dropping vengeance upon your back Cause you ain't Jack talking smack consequences. The game reacts with a pain attack, trim the fat, go the distance, the biscuit back. You get no slack, spray the gat, pack the cliff with the clip with the riff attack, fade the black. First of all, he says fade the black. Yeah. In this fade song. the black. Yeah. Which uh, maybe he says fade to black. Sometimes the Google lyrics are wrong. I, I will I will give him the benefit of the doubt. But that is some of the that is some really bad lyrics. That's some really like if you were a rapper, 
I'm the only other rapper I've heard that kind of does the hooded black dropping vengeance upon your back because you ain't Jack talking smack. It's like Kid Rock. It's like yeah. uh, he's almost doing a Kid Rock tribute in that song. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some Kid Rock here. This this almost does have a bit of that crazy town to it as well, where it's just like very simplistic rhyme schemes where you can almost guess what word is going to come up next uh, in in the rhyme. You know, like he says back and you're like, oh, I bet he's going to rhyme that with attack. And then he's like, attack. And you're like, yeah, okay. And then he's probably going to say black. And then he's like, and then we fade to black. Like it's not, and it's all rhyming couplets. There's like never any internal rhyme at all. There's never any mid rhyme. It's just all rhyming couplets. Like it's like grade school poetry, but it's just, I do like it. I mean, I want to say just while you were still talking about douchebag, the one of the quotes that we pulled up for this week, I mean, this is incredible. This is one of the best, I mean, it's one of the best quotes we've ever read on this show, in my opinion. This is from an Entertainment Weekly interview uh, right around the release of Gold Cobra. Entertainment Weekly asks, and this is an interview with Fred and Wes, but this is directed at Fred. Uh, there's a track on the album called Douchebag. Was that inspired by anyone in particular? Fred. Absolutely. It was inspired by all the douchebags that are out there. <laughs> You know what, though? I got to agree with him. That is a I good, love that. And then he that's goes a on worthy to say, target. I, and I think this is, you know, kind of kind of what we were talking about, about Limp Bizkit really being the punching bag, because uh, he says, absolutely, it was inspired by all the douchebags that are out there, the bullies. I was bullied a lot. People think Fred has an aggressive approach on the vocals. He must be a bully. On the contrary, I was really tortured and bullied a lot in school. When I found my outlet through this band to express myself, that's where my pent-up aggression came out and my attack on that. But the irony is, unless I blatantly say it, you might not get that. So a lot of the bullies use our music as their fuel to get them pumped up. So I want to shed a little light on this record that this music is not for those people. Uh, which is also so funny that Fred's like thinking that like guys who are like aggro douchebags are listening to Limp Bizkit to get more aggro and become more douchebaggy. And he thinks writing a song called douchebag is going to enlighten those bullies and be like, Hey, you shouldn't listen to our music. This isn't for you. This is for kids who were bullied in school. I also don't think that bullies like listen to music to get <laughs> pumped up. Like, I don't think it's like a football team where they slap the <laughs> yeah. sign that says play like a champion today or whatever. I don't think yeah. bullies like, I don't think it works that way. You know, I think they uh, in actually... Fred's world in Fred's world, the bullies are like before school, like out front pushing each other like you got this. Come on, man. Today's your day. You're going to fuck Jimmy up. And he's like, yes, I am. I'm going to fuck him up. Let me put on my limp biscuit and I'm going to pop off. And um, then they play douchebag and then they're like, oh, never mind. Uh, yeah. I don't want to do this. This is horrible. Yeah. Actually, Limp Biscuit doesn't like what I'm doing. Yeah, and Ricky puts it on and he's like, I'm going to listen to the song Douchebag. I bet it's about those friggin' losers we're about to bully. And then just like a single tear starts to drop down Ricky's face as he realizes that he is, in fact, the douchebag. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Another song that I got way into was Why Try. Was, okay. And I think, is that the single of the album, maybe? Nope. Or was there a single? What's uh, the single? There were two singles, yeah. The first single was Shotgun, and the second single was the title track, Gold Cobra. Ah, oh, should have done Douchebag. That would have worked really well. Why try? 
uh, uh, has some really funny fucking lyrics in it too. I mean, and and just the way it opens. Uh, uh, where he says, oh no, guess who's back, strapped with the flow like a Gatlin blow, walk with a pimp, it's the, pi- walk with a limp, it's the pirate pimp on a nightmare track with a, <laughs> it's just, walk with a limp, pimp. it's the pirate pimp, like, cause I guess, yeah. yeah, pirates have peg legs, so they're, so he's a pirate pimp, I get it, okay. Oh my god, it's just, I just love and, the and, idea that you know Fred was like, he wrote the limp line and then he was like, okay, obviously I've rhymed limp with pimp a bunch of times. What kind of pimp could I be? And then he's like, Oh, pirates walk with a limp. I'm a pirate pimp. Like I like, <laughs> well, like I just like the idea of him sitting down and trying to parse out what type of pimp he's going to be. He also like, he he's very predictable you're right with with the lyrics but like you gotta think about like we talked about chocolate starfish when that when we reviewed that album and we talked about how he probably didn't put a lot of work into the lyrics he was too busy being famous he was hanging out in seattle with like courtney love and just you know having having a a, the time of his life and all of the interviews and stuff that we read indicated to us that maybe he wasn't uh, uh, fully engaged in in writing the lyrics for that album, and uh, uh, you have to imagine that with Gold Cobra, he was one hundred percent fully engaged, and this yeah. is like as good as it gets. Yeah, he's like, dialed. He worked in. really hard. Yeah. yeah, no, he's dialed in. You know, and I, the one that really, uh, the lyrics that really got me are on Shark Attack, and I think it's interesting because I do think Shark Attack is like a direct attempt to recreate break stuff Um, as i said the the song literally starts out with it's another one of those days um and i would have called it it, break stuff again (laughs) like that's what i would have called the song break more stuff uh yeah it's interesting because i think that um i i think that he didn't the thing about fred here's what I, this is my theory based on shark attack and that the fact that he's trying to redo break stuff is like, I don't think Fred necessarily knows what makes him good. Like, I don't think like, like he can see himself getting popular, but I don't think that he, like if someone said to him, like if Fred was a great artist and he, and he painted something like maybe he was an abstract artist and he painted a painting and they're like, Fred, this is your best painting. You have to do it again. You got to do something like this again. He wouldn't know how to do it again. And that's like <laughs> what a lot of this comes across. Like that's what comes across and results may vary. Um, you know, I, I haven't listened to the unquestionable truth, but a lot of people like Wes has commented about how bad that album was and stuff. And I, I think that that's just it is like, I think Fred doesn't quite know like break stuff was really popular because it was really simple and it had a simple message And I think he's trying to tap into that again with shark attack, but it just isn't there. Like I love the breakdown in this is so funny. Uh, He says swimming with sharks ain't easy. They just want to kill and eat me. I ain't going to let that happen. Watch me plan my shark attack. Make them wish they never knew me. Turn their great white ass to sushi. This is my old school technique. It's all I need to leave them on peace. 
Yes. Th- there's also the Obama line that got me because this is, it was obviously written during the election where he says, I've had enough drama. I don't need a du- chump tucking that trash in pajamas, heated up like a sauna, time to pay the piper. I ain't giving hope like Obama. It's like, first of all, Piper didn't fit in there at all. But I mean, yeah. it's fine. You know, sometimes you just got to throw a thing in there. But uh, yeah, this real this is this is the greatest hits thing to me too. This is uh, uh, this is your break stuff. He's like, okay, I'll do a break stuff. I'll do a rearranged. I'll do like it's basically a trip through their singles, but with a new kind of. Uh, uh, these songs, just those feelings, those breakup feelings, those sadness feelings are all totally replaced with just bragging. He, he's like trying to do what hip hop was kind of doing in 2011. Yeah, he was trying. He was, it, that's what he was shooting for. And uh, he doesn't really have the skill to make it. He's a charming guy. But I think sometimes on this album, he comes off a, a, like he makes me feel like, I don't know, dude. I mean, come on. Uh, uh, 9210, right? Yes. Uh, 902. It's it's named 9210. And this song is about how ni- the ratio of uh, women to men at a Limp Biscuit concert is 90 to 10, which I can't <laughs> even say without laughing. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he talked like the whole song is about them throwing a party, uh, which I think he means, yeah, a concert like Olympus Biscuit concert is a party where there's a bunch of women at it. And um, yeah, it's it's great. Let me pull up the, the lyrics on that. So for me, I just want to say while I pull that up, this album, I do. I like it. I think it's quite good um, for I me. It, it really it really falls apart after walking away for me. Um, like, I feel like the first half of the album is super strong. I like all the songs in the first half, even shark attack with its clunky ass lyrics. And then uh, sorry, losers. Okay. Too. And then the auto tunage and, and on the last four tracks don't do anything for me, but 92, 10, uh, 92, 10. Yeah. It's really, uh, it's just such an interesting, like, yeah, it's such an interesting vibe too, because I think writing all these songs where you're like dunking on your haters, talking about how cool you are, whatever, just really hits different when your band hasn't been popular in 10 years. You know, yeah. like that's also the a big part of it. Like it's such a strange, you know, it's such a, just an interesting, you know, it'd be like Emilio Estevez writing a song about how rich he is and how he's a movie star, you know? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, okay, maybe you were at one time, but I don't need to hear that from you right now. I don't need an autobiography from Emilio Estevez where he's talking about, how great his life is it's like yeah maybe you do have a great life but this isn't really it's just i mean yeah and then he he does all the like the like he name checks his own band so he says all you ladies feeling crazy time to get it on ain't inviting any fellas they can stay at home lethal rocket on the tables dropping all the funk sammy got the quarter pouring drinks from his trunk Otto got the fire going, warming up the buns. Wes is dressed up like an alien. We having fun. I like the idea that Wes goes to his own parties dressed up as an alien. Looks like the ratio is 92-10. filled up with women again. The block is full, so that let the party get hot. It's how we do it if you like it or not. And who's out there like... Man, you know, Limp Biscuit really only invites women to their parties. I don't know how I feel about that. It's very, it's like, 
<laughs> no one cares about this. But yeah, so if we go by that ratio, if it's 10% men and 90% women, and the only, uh, there's there's 45 women at the party, and then the five members of Limp Bizkit, I guess, is the is the ratio that we're going for here, so... Well, but this is another example of my greatest hits thing, right? Is that like, uh, this is Indigo Flow or, or, uh, fuck, I can't, I can never remember the name. Where you at? Jacksonville, Rochester, where your names. This is, show me what you got. Yes, this is a naming shit song. Yeah, because then he starts naming the, all the other guys that he likes. My brother Corey just, D is painting up a couple bodies. You ain't never seen a party. And who's Corey D? I'm, I was trying to figure that out. I think out. he's just a, a body painter or a tattoo artist. Gotcha. And know? then I just heard that Paul Wall is coming now. Raekwon is on the mic and he's bugging out. Corey Taylor got a harem chasing him around. <coughs> we ain't slipping with his knot. Then we going down. Which is like, I don't, I just can't. I mean, I'm sure Corey Taylor's done just fine with the ladies over the years, but like, I don't ever think of Corey Taylor as a guy who has a harem of women chasing him around a party like that just doesn't compute with me. Nor would you think that Corey Taylor would want that to be the way that you think of him. Exactly. (laughs) That's more. Yeah, totally. 100%. I mean, and you, we've talked about on the show before. I mean, we had Keith Buckley on the show and he couldn't say enough nice things about Corey Taylor. And it seems from like all accounts, Corey Taylor is a gentleman and a very nice man. So you have to think that he like heard this and he's like, am I even friends with Limp Bizkit? Like what, (laughs) what is Fred talking about? (laughs) Or like Corey's, I don't know if he's married, but I just imagine his wife being like, so, um, when were you at this party with Fred? (laughs) I wonder if they were friends. Like I, I guess probably you would have to think so that, that Fred would write this in the song. It's just trying to figure out when they would have hung out since you know, Slipknot has been pretty steadily touring. I guess they probably just meet up at parties and shit. Like, oh, yeah. Fred's here. Corey's here. You know, it's just this this song's humiliating just because also the 90 to 10 lie and it makes it sad for me. But it fucking rips. The song is good. Like, it's fun to listen to. But uh, uh, some, the name dropping is just... Again, it's like Indigo Flow. This is this album's Indigo Flow. Oh, we got to have a song where we name things that we like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is like I do think. Yeah, I I think what you're saying is true. Like, I feel that way. Like a lot of my notes for this album was literally me like saying that where I'd be like, oh, the lyrics are really bad, but I love this song. And I just feel like that. And I guess that's like. I think what it is, Brian, is like when we were younger, like the lyrics to Limp Bizkit songs have I guess fairly obviously always been pretty bad. I, I guess $3 bill y'all and significant other were maybe less bad because they were about something like it seemed like Fred really had a chip on his shoulder and he was, you know, had a bad breakup before significant other. And so maybe the songs had a little bit more to them then or something. But I think when you're younger and you just love songs so much, the lyrics just become good. It's like by sheer force of will, you listen to a song so many times and you love the song so much the lyrics almost don't even matter. Whereas when you listen to something like this, 10 years removed from it, 20 years removed from when Limp Bizkit was popular, I think it's a lot easier to sit there and be like, wow, oh, these lyrics are pretty bad. 
you know, well, these are, this is like a little bit regrettable, some of these things, but <laughs> you know, but they have so many, like, you know, I mean, so many of the songs are so like gold Cobra feels like a classic Limp Bizkit song. It feels like you could put that on any Limp Bizkit album and it's just, it's so good. The, the chorus, the melody, everything just hits in exactly the way you like. I love the opening of Douchebag. It's got that classic, like, really huge drumming from John Otto. Just that open hi-hat, smashing drums. Wes with just, like, an unreal riff. Like, Wes is so... I mean, Wes is on another level on this album. I mean, he is fucking insane. I mean, anyone who says he's not the best guitarist in new metal is insane, as far as I'm concerned. And this album is like, it's like he's, he took time off from Limp Bizkit and got better. Everyone else got worse. Well, Fred got worse. Wes was like, I'm getting just way better all the time. And he just smashes it. Like, yeah, it's, it's the lyrics on this are almost funny. Like, it's almost like performance art. Where it's like it's almost like they're more they're you more chuckle at them than you than you even think about Fred being serious about it. You know what I mean? Like it's almost like that so good it's bad or so sorry so bad it's good type thing where you you're almost just like ah maybe he's just not even being serious and this is just like funny. Yeah, it, it is. I I think that's how I felt too. Like I I think that the the songs are so the the lyrics. Uh, the name dropping and stuff like that is also funny and very novel for 2011. You know, that's not like a thing that metal bands do still. No, <laughs> like, but he, he just also it is possible that he's joking around a lot here i mean that lyric you read at the beginning check it out it's the outlaw white dog often called by my alias polar bear brain tied like the snm freak shit cold like ice you're serving up my drinks with is funny like that those are funny lyrics yeah and uh uh oh here's the other line i like from that song too keep your head bobbing like a novelty and all them turkey mcs want to gobble me yes I know that cracked me up too. It's like, I just, yeah, I think the problem is Brian is like, Fred seems to me like, like I agree with you. He seems like a guy you could have a beer with and he's like a chill guy, but I feel like he does take the music quite seriously. And I feel like he's a very, like, I think he's a huge hip hop fan. I think he takes the music really seriously So it's hard, like, if I just knew that he was being funny, it might be easier to let some of this slide. But it's like you said earlier, I do feel like he sat down, like he bought Kurt Cobain's old desk or something, and he, like, sat down and he was like, I'm going to make my magnum opus here. And then he came up with that bobble me, gobble me rhyme, and he's like, oh, my God, I am fucking killing it. Um, That, like, in a way makes it a bit harder to accept, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably right. I, I, I would say, yeah, I, I, I guess maybe, I don't know. I can't really figure it out because he's, he doesn't seem like an intelligent guy, but he also doesn't, I don't know. Does he feel super dumb to you? No, he doesn't feel dumb to me at all. Actually. I mean, I've been on record saying, I think he's a genius, so I'm not going to walk back that take now. I still think he's a pretty smart guy. I, I, think, wonder, I think the thing, like I think the way that these, he's sorry go ahead I, I want to get into I, I, like I'll get into the article 
Okay. That that one of the articles that you had where he talked about uh, uh, the music and it didn't, I, I'm, I got to find it real quick, but like he didn't come off as like overly serious at right. all when, when he was doing these interviews like, uh, uh, and in the NME one, uh, that you sent me, he talked about how they don't listen to rap rock. Like we don't yeah. listen to this shit, which is that's something all new metal bands do. Yeah, but apparently like, every new metal band ever hates new metal. <laughs> Anytime yeah. you listen to it, you hear them in an interview. They're all like, ah, new, new metal. I don't listen to any of it. I don't like it. You're like, okay. I mean, you like it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and, and it just feels like, like, uh, uh maybe he's a guy. That is, I I don't listen to rap, I or metal like rap metal. I don't listen to this kind of music, but I have to write this kind of music. So I'm just gonna like, I'll just write some shit down, you know. Like I I I think that like maybe he's not taking it. My my position is that he's not taking it super seriously. Right. Uh, uh, when it comes time to write the raps, he's just kind of like, eh, you know, they can't all be winners, you know. And then you're like, well, none of them are. So you got to have some winners. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 you're right. I, I, and again, I think in some ways, I do think. Because it was interesting reading interviews from this time period, you know, because I think we've obviously we've now covered significant other and hot dog flavored water on on the pod. And I think his interviews for both of those records, particularly around significant other, you got the sense that he genuinely thought he was like, like he was on top of the world. I mean, he was. And he thought he was. And, you know, like he had that quote in the spin article we read around Significant Other where he said that he believed Limp Bizkit was going to be the biggest band in the world and that they were going to create a multimedia empire. Um, and that 20 years from now in 1998 uh, or 99, 20 years from now, Limp Bizkit is going to like own the world or whatever, you know. And I think I think there was a time period where he like genuinely thought those things and then i feel like as it's gone on and you see in all these interviews it became less and less about the music and more and more about the show and more and more about entertainment and he brings up the live show a lot in the live atmosphere and how people always talk shit about their band but they never talk shit about the live show and i think that um I think that maybe in some cases that's all he's thinking about is like, what would be like a fun lyric to yell out or like, what would be a fun thing to just kind of get in the groove in the, in a concert or whatever, because like even something like douchebag, like the chorus, he literally just says douchebag. I'm going to fuck you up. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you up. Like that is not, I mean, that's stupid. Like that is the, and he thinks that that's the message that's going to get through to bullies. But like, it's just, it's a dumb lyric. However, I could totally see myself being at a Limp Bizkit concert doing Fred's like gorilla walk in the mosh pit being like, I'm going to fuck you up. Like just having the time of my life. Um, just so I do it think out. It's, yeah, just screaming it out and having a good time. So I do think maybe that's part of it too, is, is just that Fred's really just so focused on that aspect of it and not so much on the technicality of it. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I just... I think like, yes, I think he's, he's, but if they're not touring it, that's what drives me fucking crazy. I know, if, but then they don't, if you're tour, not touring yeah. it, then why fucking do, why do that? But like, 
by the way, if they'd have toured this, they would have sold enough tickets to make it make sense. Okay. This album, oh, this yeah. album would have been a much bigger deal. I mean, and that's proof. Corn is proof of that with the nothing and Deftones are proof of that with ohms. It's like, you have to support the album. You can't just put it out and then hope people are like, Oh, I'm going to check this out. You know, (laughs) and this is pre streaming. This is pre Spotify, like unlimited amount of streaming too. Uh, I think this could have been huge. I think this album is, is very good. I think bring it back was uh, like the second you hear bring it back at the beginning you're like wow this is basically yeah we're in you're in right away yeah this is what limp biscuit sounds like in 2012 like it really is like it's just like i could almost picture what limp biscuit would sound like in 2021 just from reading the the tea leaves or whatever of whatever they've done in the past you're like ah Okay, I think like I'm pretty sure I know what their sound would be. And uh basically a lot like this, but but they'll just take it like Fred's raps, he'll try to do something that's closer to like future or or like uh, uh who's really big now. I suck. Uh, uh, but he tried to do something like Bad Bunny or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some Playboy Cardi, uh, some Playboy Cardi shit. Yeah, no, you're right. Like, I think you get into it, and, and it's funny. I, I think, like I said, the the listeners saying how good this album was also really like painted my perception of it. Where I think, like, you know, they were saying how good it was, and then you hear Bring It Back, and you're like, oh yeah, this is gonna be good. And then Gold Cobra right after that is really good, and you. You just you walk through and you're like, fuck, this is yeah, this is really interesting um, and really solid. I want to get into uh, some of the articles. It was really interesting trying to look up articles for this uh, was pretty difficult um, because the it seemed like Fred, they would they not only did they not tour, it seemed like they didn't do a ton of press around this record and maybe no one really wanted to talk to them. But um, a lot of the press seems centered around Wes. I found more interviews with Wes around this album than I did with Fred, which is super interesting. Um, uh, and one, sorry, I think I can answer that for you. Okay. Actually, to tell you the truth, in October 2001, this is for the unquestionable truth. Okay. Uh, uh, hold on. Where did that go? Okay. The unquestionable truth part one was released as an underground album without any advertising or promotion. Borland disagreed with the decisions, suggesting that it was self-sabotage. Maybe he was really unhappy with the music and didn't really want to put it out there. Uh, uh, So I think that like Wes Borland, as much as, you know, people might think that he hates being in the band. And I think I even had that kind of vibe uh reading the press for this and listening to this album really made me think like he's the guy that's keeping it going at this point yeah well so that's what i was going to get to i mean this is one of the more interesting interviews i've ever seen um so there's a website called the anti-quiet um which is uh i'm assuming some it's it looks like it's a sort of a general music website it doesn't look like it's necessarily focused on metal in particular because their album of 2020 was run the jewels Four, and there's also like a podcast about fiona apple's album that they've got on the side here so it seems like they're it's kind of just about music in general um but they had given this uh a one out of five uh review and uh, mm. Wes Borland, I guess, saw this review and he actually DM'd them, uh, DM'd the Anti-Quiet on Twitter. 
And he said that uh, the hatred that you have for Fred, uh, so so sorry, the, the one out of five review uh, was really about how the lyrics were quite bad. Um, and, and that was like a really big thing on the album. So Wes uh, DM'd the anti-quiet and he said, the hatred you have for Fred is part of the reason we've succeeded. Uh, I could see one out of five of you are expecting OK Computer, but as far as Limp Biscuit records go, Gold Cobra is perfect. Your review was smart, and I appreciate the kind words towards me, but I'm proud to be here. Uh, and then he went on to further email the anti-quiet, um, and I thought that this was just like a really interesting perspective uh, from Wes. So this is the email here. Uh, is he says, first of all, I've totally seen where you're coming from and I've seen it over and over again. I know many people who have a similar attitude towards our band. I was one of them 10 years ago when I quit the band. And in these weeks leading up to the release of the album, I've been promising myself that I wouldn't succumb to curiosity by reading reviews. And I did, but then I was told that there was starting to be several great ones. So I read them and they totally got it and hit the nail on the head as far as identifying with our intention. But a few have had a similar tone to yours. The band is okay, but I don't like Fred Durst. There is no way in hell that our band would ever have been successful without Fred as the singer, period. No matter what effect he has on people in a, quote, TMZ personality kind of way, he is an astonishing frontman and performer. I've never seen anything like it, and the feeling I have during our shows can't be touched by any other experience I've ever had. I've talked to folks time and time again who hated us and had all these preconceived notions, and then after seeing us live, they can't wait to see the show again. We are... Uh, we are a ridiculous band. We have fun. We're obnoxious. We provide an escape for ourselves and our fans through what we do, and our fans seem to be so happy with this record, and so are we. It would be appalling for us to try to come out with some kind of, oh, we're in our 30s and Fred just turned 40, so let's make a grown-up, meaningful record that makes us feel like men album. We made a record that is 100% not thought out to be anything other than what it is, a Limp Bizkit record. We went into the studio and did what came naturally to us. I'm pretty sure most of our negative reviews will be from people who always hated the band and are totally disgusted that we came back together to do anything for any reason. But I am so proud to be part of this band. Thanks for your time. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's the guy now. I think he's kind of taken over for Fred. I, I think if we get another Limp Biscuit album, it'll be because of Wes Borland, I believe. Yeah. I, yeah, I no, just, that's definitely what it seems like for sure. And um, if you want to, I, I won't bother reading any more of this, but you should definitely check it out. Um, I'll, I'll share the link on Twitter. Um, but this whole exchange that he has with the reviewer from the Antiquiet is super interesting, including he goes over like their Woodstock stuff um, and, uh, you know, kind of how they came about making their music. And it's really interesting. And yeah, I think what you're saying, Brian, is super true, especially when you think about this was their last record that was released and Wes did most of the press for it. And and you're right, like Wes almost has or is starting to have that cachet that the Deftones do, where even if people don't like Limp Bizkit, they do seem to respect Wes, like as an artist uh, in some ways. And um, uh, so, yeah, I, I, I do think you're right. I, I do think that that Wes has become this sort of integral part of the band in, in, in quite a way. Yeah, yeah. He, he seems to be in it for the long haul. I don't, I don't think this band's going to break up at this point. Like, I think they're done you know, breaking up and whatever they do in the future, uh, uh, he's going to be a part of, and probably a big part of it. Even, I even started to get that vibe actually from hot chocolate starfish 
that he was kind of like, no, I'm working really hard on this to make this as good as possible. But uh, Fred, you know, and, you know, saying that the lyrics on this are kind of negative and shitty, not altogether false. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't exactly. think we brought up the fact we haven't brought up the fact at all that there is a fucking song on here called My Own Cobain, which is that's an insane thing to name a song after, you know, <laughs> what song is that? My Own Cobain. What song is that? I don't have that song. Oh, I must have been listening to uh, uh, extended version. Oh, okay. Be- so you got the bonus. You got the bonus. My own Cobain songs. Content. Oh, okay. I listened yeah, to 17 songs. Okay, mine only okay, has 13. Okay, so it, it stops at Killer and You. There is a song oh, called yes, My I Own see. Cobain. Yes, you're right. On That's the on the ex- deluxe version. Back Porch, My Own Cobain, Angels. Yeah. Yes. Got it. Yes. And that song, I mean, just even writing that song is gross. You know what I mean? Right. And I, I'm sure that's why they left it off the original release of the album. And uh, uh, so I don't know. I, I I like the album. It's just a very it's it's the lyrics are very weird. I have such a, a kind of uh, uh, what's the word? I have such a kind of like like weird relationship with the lyrics of this album because I, I did find I. I guess like I'm I don't want to be a guy that's like I found some of them to be like not great like content wise either you know just stuff I didn't like that he was saying where it was like oh I mean I he's know, most dude. certainly like a lot of these lyrics are fairly misogynistic no question yeah. and it's that kind of you know that's I guess part of what they're trying to do the sort of braggadocious thing or whatever even Wes comments on that he did another interview uh, with music radar and uh, he he actually talks about that about kind of the lyrical content on the record and um, you know he said the, the question was straight up like how do you see Fred growing as a lyricist and Wes said I think he's getting better we definitely have the element of party slash braggadocious statements that are inherent in rock metal and hip-hop the Beastie Boys had it. Public Enemy had it. Although they had a political bent to a lot of what they did, but that song goes other places. They're talking about walking away. It's a bit of a departure. It sort of puts more eggs in the basket of our Jane's Addiction-ish tendencies. <laughs> um, but it is interesting that even Wes feels like he has to be, you know, he's got to kind of say like, yeah, you know, we do kind of, we do talk about partying and shit sometimes and it's like fine. Yeah, it is. It's totally fine. It, it's it's cool because like there aren't a lot of rock bands that talk about partying f- for real. Like like ACDC, uh, uh, you know, maybe some seventies ones, but these days, like you just don't see a ton of like bands going on, and especially in this genre where it was all about you know sadness to have some songs about partying is kind of nice. It's maybe something you could get your girlfriend into or something yeah i tried that back in the day and yeah lid biscuit work, always but... felt like a, a uniquely positioned band to do that i don't think the ratio was ever 90 to 10 uh, no. but i do think they had a lot of uh a lot of women who were fans and uh, i just wanted to touch on two more quotes from this music radar interview and then we'll uh, wrap this bad boy up i thought it was really interesting and this kind of also speaks to wes and we were talking about cachet Um, a lot in this pod and they asked the question during the past decade you've spent more time out of Limp Bizkit than in you've gone and come back twice what were your reasons for leaving and why did you keep coming back 
And he says, when I left the first time in 2001, I was 26 and I had absolutely had it with people making fun of the band. I felt embarrassed to have my peers write off what I was doing. We were so successful and at the top of our game, yet we were this huge target for everybody's hate and I didn't know how to handle it. Um, And I think that that's interesting, you know, that like, I don't think Fred probably ever, like maybe he didn't like people saying stuff about the band, but I don't think Fred probably ever took it too personally uh, when people were like, oh, Fred's kind of a bad singer or whatever. Like, it's interesting that the opinion of other artists was so important to Wes. Wes seems like a guy that, I mean, he's an artist. He's an artsy guy, you know? Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, I think he knows like, hey, you know, I'm good at this too. You know, I like doing artsy stuff. One day I would like to, if the, uh, if we ever don't have somebody paying for an album again, (laughs) I would like to do one of his on, on the bonus feed. Yeah. Like big dumb face or something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just curious about, I don't want to, I've never really listened to it. Yeah, no, I agree. Super interesting. And then he also says, which I think is kind of goes back to your greatest hits thing, Brian, um, you know, him talking about gold Cobra specifically. And I, and I thought that this was an interesting quote as well. The question was, um, well, it's, it's more of a statement. He says, you made a point of saying how you left the first time because the band was ridiculed. Of course, we all know that nothing has changed in that regard. Limp Bizkit still aren't the darling of the critics. And he said, no, we're not, but I've accepted that. What's interesting is because the deck is stacked against us and now we're the underdogs, I'm interested again in a weird way. Being in the band is a challenge now, whereas before when we were at our zenith, it was like clubbing baby seals. A bit of a clumsy metaphor, but uh, people don't care about us now. Things are harder for us for some very weird reason that's interesting and exciting to me. I feel as though we're building something again. My return is complicated and there's many gray areas to it. Um, but I do think like in some ways Limp Biscuit had their most success when they felt like they were an underdog band where it was like them against everyone and maybe like hot dog. And then further on with, um, results may vary, which Wes wasn't involved in, but you know, they got a little too big for their britches or they got too high on their horse. And, and like, that was what they needed was to kind of like feel that sort of underdogness again, because it does sort of feel like. A lot of times we've talked about this on the show before when bands say that they're going to get back to their roots, um, they do a very poor job of that. Or like you get worried when a band is doing interviews and they're like, yeah, we got back to our roots. And you're like, oh, no, this is going to suck really bad. Um, But they I mean, it's like, yeah, this feels like they got back to their roots and it was fucking good. Yeah, it's really good. If you're if you haven't listened to it to prepare for the show, I I recommend listening to it. It's it's a good fucking time to listen to. Yeah. And so speaking of uh, recommending it, Brian, it is now time for the tweet defense. If this is your first time ever listening to this show, this is how we review the albums on the show. It is if someone were to tweet at you and say that Gold Cobra was a bad album, how many tweet replies uh, would you go at it with them to try and convince them otherwise or to defend this album? Uh, Brian, uh, what uh, what's your tweet defense score of this of this record? Okay, I am uh, I, I'm looking at our spreadsheet so I can see what I gave significant other and what I gave uh, uh, chocolate starfish, which uh, I gave it a I gave significant other a five. John, you gave it a seven. So okay. that's weird. 
that I gave it such a low score. <laughs> that is weird, and, but uh, I think back then we didn't necessarily Chaka Starfish, know. I gave it 25 and a half. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give this a 26 because I oh, think wow. I like this better than Chocolate Starfish. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. Um, it's interesting, yeah, because like I said, um, one listener in particular, um, Shelly, had had said that uh, this is their favorite Limp Bizkit album. I don't know that it's necessarily my favorite uh, Limp Bizkit album, but I think it belongs in, in the pantheon with their other albums. I think it totally stands alongside um, $3 Billy All, Significant Other, Chocolate Starfish. I think all of those, it's it's right there. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think I would defend it quite a bit. I, I would probably defend it. Um, I don't know if I gave significant other a seven, I don't think I can defend it as much as significant other. So I'll go 6.5. I'll go, I'll go 6.5 yeah. tweets. I'll, I'll do a half tweet, a one word response somewhere in there. But, uh, but yeah, no, think I, I think it's really solid. I think it's, it's a great album. <clears throat> do you, you don't think it's better than chocolate starfish, which you gave an 11. Yeah, I don't think it's yeah. So I really, uh, it's obvious how our tweet our tweet defense scores changed. But um, yeah, I, for me, I would put I would put it below their first three albums. I think I would have Significant Other at the top, Three Dollar Bill Y'all second, um, and then Chocolate Starfish third, and then I would have this one fourth. But I, I but I think it's like it's right there with Chocolate Starfish for me. It's almost like they're tied for third. Um, cause I Same do think here. chocolate starfish has some pretty bad songs on it. Um, but so does this album for me. And I, I don't think this album quite hits the heights that chocolate starfish does. Like boiler is one of my favorite Limp Bizkit songs. Um, and some of the singles uh, on chocolate starfish are very, very good as well. So, um, so yeah, I, I would still slot it fourth, but it's like a very respectable fourth. It's not a, it's not a, Hey, this isn't worth listening to fourth. So I think if I had listened to it a few more times, I could have definitely put it as third, you know, uh, right. uh, and I do think I maybe like it a little more than chocolate starfish at this point in my life, but that's newness too. I'm big into new shit. You know, I get excited when I have a new thing. So that could also be painting my opinion of this album. Yeah, no, that's, that's totally fair. Uh, so there you have it. Those are the tweet defense scores. Uh, before we uh, wrap up the show here, just want to say that uh, if you want to donate to the show, you can head over to patreon.com slash the POD cast. That's POD cast with a K like the band corn. It's $4 a month and you get three bonus episodes every month. You'll get one full length bonus episode where we review some sort of compilation album or a rarity like this month. Uh, or I guess now it's February. So in January, uh, we had Luke O'Neill on the show and we reviewed rock and roll gangster by Fieldy's dreams, which is the hip hop side project of corn's bassist Fieldy. Uh, it's as good as it sounds. Uh, but that's all <laughs> on Patreon. We do. Yeah. We review compilations and other weird stuff like that over there. You get one full length episode and then two shorter bonus episodes where we review a single, um, and, uh, the one we have coming up for you very shortly is awesome. Uh, an interesting, crazy story. It's by South Korean new metal band. So Um, so that'll be up there shortly. And yeah, we do two of those a month. So you get three bonus episodes every month. We got a discord server. Uh, it's great. You can check that all out at patreon.com slash the POD cast. You can also follow us on Twitter at the POD underscore cast. Uh, make sure you do that so you can vote in the polls and uh, have a say on what we review on the show. <clears throat> Pardon me. It's uh, I know 
one of our listeners said that the only Twitter account they have notifications turned on for is the POD cast because they don't want to miss a poll. So uh, <laughs> make sure that you're uh, make sure that you're involved. I don't know that you necessarily have to set notifications for us, but uh, yeah, we do the polls every month and that's super fun. So follow us on Twitter at the POD underscore cast. Uh, Brian, we always finish off the show with a challenge uh, this month. Uh, the challenge. Oh, sorry. Last month we had, I think was our closest challenge vote ever i i won the challenge i beat you 53.7 to 46.3 so very very close challenge where we the challenge last month uh was where we had to reimagine a deftone song title to be about something different and uh so it's super close but the overall record right now brian uh i don't even know if you want to know it because i am i'm pulling ahead again you were you were pulling back close to me uh but i am now pulling back ahead and i am up 10 10 wins for me six wins for you and we have one tie uh so the challenge whipped (laughs) the challenge this month is uh based on the aforementioned auto tunage song so if you listen to the album front to back you'll notice limp biscuit do a lot of the things they used to do which is have outros on a lot of their songs the outro on loser uh has fred screwing around with an with what sounds like a vocoder or some sort of auto-tune knob that he's just like turning up and down and he's being like whoa i can make my voice sound crazy because of auto-tune and t-pain was already like you know a multi-platinum artist at this time having a ton of success off of auto-tune seemed very weird to kind of like it was like way past its prime to both slam auto-tune and then do a song using auto-tune so brian and i are going to imagine a limp biscuit song written in 2021 that is too late that we're we're too late on some sort of feature that is blowing our mind that we can use in the song brian i'll let you go first all right here's the thing i am not gonna sing a verse of a no, song you don't have I, to yeah i just can't do that but i will say that if I, I, I would just love to hear a song. Uh, okay, I'm giving it a title here. Bacon, not epic, you know, with a question mark, you know? <laughs> yeah, and like Fred it's Durst some sort is, of like gotcha news title. Yeah, and Fred Durst is just sick to death of bacon. And he'd be like, yeah, yeah, bacon on the cheeseburgers. They're putting bacon and ice cream. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of this shit, you know? Not everything's better with bacon. I'm a vegetarian, bruh. There, <laughs> that's my little Fred Durst impression, I guess. I like that. Because that's what auto-tune, the auto-tune thing, the charm of it is him being like, auto-tuned. Can you believe this shit? This yeah, shit. and it's what? like, it's, been, auto- it's been popular for like five years at the time. And he's like, can you believe <laughs> yeah. it? This shit's nuts. Auto-tune, what? You don't like that? I don't what? like it either. Hey, Say, here, here's what? a whole song with it. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, okay. I like that. Uh, mine is, um, so Limp Bizkit uh, very famously did a tour with Napster uh, back in the day. They've always sort of been a proponent <laughs> of kind of like file sharing, but also making money. Uh, so my song is going to be called Bandcamp. Uh, where Fred has just discovered that you can make a lot more money as an artist by putting your songs on Bandcamp. Uh, but the song is not really going to be that much about the actual Bandcamp, but it's going to be Fred name-checking a bunch of artists in a theoretical band 
camp, like a band summer camp. So he's going to oh, be Jesus. like, so he'll be like, corn is roasting all the corn. Uh, and then Surge is watching some porn going swimming. <laughs> I'm going swimming with a uh, system of a down and the Deftones don't make me frown. Yo, we play and capture the flag. You know, he's like, he's just getting really into actual band camp. But then the, like the end of the song would be like bandcamp.com slash limbiscuit, you know, and he'll like shout it out or whatever. Cause he's trying to make more money off of Bandcamp as opposed to Spotify. I dig this song already. I, I'm going to need you to write it. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Bandcamp. That can be my, uh, do I automatically win the challenge if I write the full Bandcamp song? Yeah. Bandcamp <laughs> with a K. Bandcamp. Yes, of course. Yeah. It's definitely Bandcamp like with a K. Yeah. yeah K, K I'll like do it. corn doing it up roasting marshmallows. Yeah, exactly. I will. Okay, doing it will like def- corn. Doing yeah. it like corn at the fire making s'mores. You know? Oh, Something like that. There we go. I like that. <laughs> Yes. We play in football on a, don't call it fieldy. Yes. <laughs> well, some you don't of, have to name everybody in corn. Too. Yeah, I do. I will. <laughs> He's going to run out of bands he likes. So we're definitely, yeah, I, I will. I will write that song. I will write that song and I will put it out. <laughs> um, okay. We are, uh, we're here at the end. We always uh, cap off our episodes with the poll. So um, if you've never listened to the show before, uh, Brian and I will both nominate two albums for review for March. Uh, and then, as we said earlier, you follow us on Twitter, usually towards the end of the month. So towards the end of February, we'll put up a poll. It's up there for 48 hours and you get to vote on uh, which album we cover. And this month, the poll was the closest it has ever been ever. Limp Biscuit won the poll, I believe, by 0.6 of a percent. Um, so your vote literally could be the difference. So follow us at the POD underscore cast to vote. Brian, you said last month you're starting, you're going to try and have themes. Do you have a theme this month as well? I mean, new blood is my theme. We, I like we've it. done a few shows. Uh, we did Deftones last month and we did Limp Biscuit this month. And it's like, we've done three Limp Biscuit albums. And uh, as, as you've said, John, uh, uh, first off, uh, the poll last month was very close. So I think one of the new blood, I'm going to leave Sepultura Roots in this yeah, month. I think that's fair. It, it just feels like people want that. And that would be yeah. new blood. We've never talked about Sepultura on this show. Agreed. Um, and then the next one that I have that's new blood that's never even been in a poll is uh, Mudvayne LD50 Ooh, is going to be on there. Mudvayne. And, yeah, an album that I haven't even listened to very often, maybe a couple times. I don't know that so, I've ever listened to it from front to back. And a lot of people have said, when are you guys going to do Mudvayne? Well, Mudvayne people, now's your chance. LD50 by Mudvayne. Is that the one with Dig on it? Yes, that's dig, the one with Dig on it. Dig. Um, okay, sounds great. I am... I'm going with some old uh, mine are both new blood two bands. We've never reviewed on the show uh, that I think I'm actually following Brian, your footsteps and doing one bad album and one good album. Uh, which one do you want first? Which one do you want to tell me or you want me well, to tell I you will first? Go, I want to hear the good one first. Okay. Because I like the bad ones. The big cool thing for me that makes me excited. <laughs> okay. So this one is interesting because you know, we've had in our singles, uh, bonus episodes on Patreon, 
we have done we like i said we just did a south korean new metal band we've done some australian new metal bands but i'm from vancouver bc canada we have never done canadian new metal on this show and this is a very good album and a band that would go on to not be new metal later on uh but i'm going to nominate finger 11 the grayest of blue skies uh it's a great album it's got some monster singles on it uh i like it a lot we talked about them a little bit when we did the wwf forcible entry bonus episode with graham clark back in the day but uh, that's my good album uh and then my bad one is another band actually i guess this is my theme bands that made new metal albums and then were never new metal again uh and this one is is someone again has kind of come up as sort of adjacent on this show but we've never actually reviewed them uh, I'm going to be putting up Sugar Ray's Floored. Okay. I like this. I yeah. like this. That's the album that uh, Fly is on. And if you've never heard the rest of the album, it is quite bad new metal. So I'm excited to uh, to dig into that one. I, I can remember hearing it back in the day and liking it, but I, it's been a long time. So I really, uh, I, I really, instead of Finger Eleven, thought you were going to say Serial Joe. <laughs> like I just immediately as soon as you said Van- Canada and I was like starting to get excited like Serial Joe Serial Serial Joe. Joe isn't really new metal to me I but <laughs> I w- I mean but I would love to talk about Serial Joe considering I went to school with them and I had the same drum teacher as the drummer from the band well, one day we'll get into Serial Joe for sure uh, but We've yeah there about we go him on here before we've talked yeah. about him on the pod cast on the uh i believe with chris chris james yeah, on the woodstock 99 yes, Knox, yeah because they played woodstock and so yeah we definitely talked about it uh so yeah thanks everybody for listening those are going to be the four sepultura Mudvayne, finger 11 and sugar ray it's going to be a new great blood. march we're going to be doing some new blood uh which is fantastic thank you so much for listening to the show thanks for all the support uh, we get so many nice tweets and comments from you guys and, and we really appreciate it. So thank you everyone. Again, you can donate at patreon.com slash the POD cast. You can follow us on Twitter at the POD underscore cast rate review, subscribe, tell a friend, and we'll see you back here next month. Bye.